welcome to the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce and our capacity building podcast, Set the Month in Motion, produced in partnership with the City of Fremantle's economic development team. Today, we are talking about experiences. Is it just a buzzword? In a world where bricks and mortar is finding new ways to compete against a flood of online products, tourism is being led by independent travellers seeking the ultimate in an Instagram-worthy photo. And the collision economy where arts and creative industries meet retail, meet digital, meet knowledge and education. It's all being touted as the new uprising. But what does it mean in real terms and certainly how does it apply to our industries here in Fremantle? So these are some of the questions that we're going to cover off today with our extraordinarily wonderful panel um, of true creatives and um, commercially sound minds. I was really intrigued by the recent remix summit of arts and culture held in Perth here last week. They cited examples of the launch of Airbnb's experience that provides individual hosts with the tools to schedule their own street art or cycling tours for their guests. An Airbnb experience is touted at growing at 25% faster than the original accommodation platform ever did. At Lier de Lumiere's in Paris, where projections of Klimt and Van Gogh are projected onto a screen, they are actually attracting more visitors than the master galleries themselves. Time Out magazine has established a market of real life experiences as a tangible way of bringing their magazine city guides to life. And the Instagram ready collaborative and interactive exhibition spaces such as the Color Factory, which is spreading across the US from San Francisco to New York at an absolute rate of knots, is creating spaces for millions to simply gather, interact and take photos of themselves. So with the mind ticking on how on earth we commercialize such experiences, Let's start by introducing our wonderful panel. So I'm going to start to my right, or left I should say, this morning. Uh, Mr Al Taylor, CEO of Triple One Three. Al is a WA business leader who has built and grown some of Australia's most successful communication projects through his agency 303 Mullen Low. He is now CEO of Hospitality Brewing Group Triple One Three, which includes one of Australia's fastest growing beer brands, Other Side. Triple Three also owns a growing portfolio of venues, including Other Side Brewhouse and Frio Social. He's president of WAM, West Australian Music, and on the board of a number of um, different organisations, including Active Perth. He has a wealth of experience in culture creation, building organisational capacities and behavioural change. So just thinking of all of, I guess, the experiences that we're talking about now, and I will put your amazingly beautiful slide up. What do you think is the most critical element to creating the real and magnetic experience? Um, so, I think the most critical component, or well, there's many critical components, but one of them is, um, uh, and look, I'm a, I'm a bit of a one-trick pony, Benita, from our team is in the audience, so she's probably heard this about 11,000 times. But, um, I, I, look, I always just go audience empathy is my thing. Because I think when, you know, everyone's talking about experiences, but I think um, relevant and unexpected and interesting experiences are what distinguishes things. But, you know, I, and, I'll, and I'll quickly talk about an observation that I've been making about businesses. You know, we're all talking about, the, you know, the retail economy, suffering, all that sort of stuff. And down the road from me, um, so you're going to pay the price of inviting me because I do these sort of long-winded rambles. But anyway, down the road from me, there's a there's a kind of hole-in-the-wall cafe, and it's had about five or six people through it. You know, it close. You know, opens up, fails, 
opens up, fails, different people. And you, and you kind of go, every person that's gone in there has gone in and gone, well, there was a cafe before here that failed, but I'm going to do a cafe and I'm going to make it work. And then they fail. And you go, well, at some point someone's going to go, you know, maybe the cafe thing's not working or something's not right. And I think that you, you've got to... Um, you can have your core idea, but you can, you've got to build into that something extraordinary. And that comes from understanding the people around you. And you've really got to get a deep level of understanding of your audience around you and what they kind of crave and then build that for them. So that you've just got to, any experience has to be built from the perspective of empathy for the audience, not just, oh, I've got this idea, I'm just going to present it. That, that would be my observation. Just as you were speaking then, it reminds me a little bit of Old Bridge Cellars in North Fremantle and you think, oh, they're the only privately owned bottle shop. How do they actually make it work? And they create experience. You know, Friday night, you can't get in there for the sense of community and the fact that they just try a few wines and they've built this, you know, a couple of cinnamon scrolls and a few things, but they've tapped into the fact that North Fremantle love community and love together. I think it's a really good point. And next up, we have the overtly and wonderfully creative Ricky Clark. Um, Ricky is the Director of Creative Spaces, an expert in the fields of interpretation and exhibition design. With over 15 years of design and management roles in Australia and the UK, Ricky has an extensive knowledge of working on projects that tell meaningful stories of people and places. We are extraordinarily lucky to have Ricky with us today. Her portfolio of work includes Claremont Quarters incredible on cloud nine interactive art installations that I almost thought at one point on Instagram if I see one more picture of it I think it's going to take over the world. Um, these captivating illustration installations became the focus of a social media campaign that created a spectacular Instagram feed. Ricky talk us through the role of installations in bringing to life forgotten spaces and why Claremont Quarter embarked on such a journey with you. Oh, thank you very much. Um, so Claremont Quarter was a bit outside our usual um, works. We do a lot of in more in that cultural field, so the heritage and cultural. So this was a, a good opportunity for us to experiment as well. So they um, repurposed some of their old storerooms. So it was really what they call a level two driver. So it was upstairs in Claremont Quarter and they really wanted to drive more audience and visitors upstairs and and obviously to spend. Um, so they commissioned a number of artists, so like VJ Zoo and um, a few others, and they're also their internal team, to uh, repurpose um, these storerooms. And really it was just about Instagram. So it was it was just a purely a made for Instagram experience. Um, and I think they'd seen the Museum of Ice Cream overseas and other installations like that. So it was really just about to get people up there, take their pics, put it on social media and um, hopefully spend some money while they were there. So, um, look, it was a, a great experience. It, I don't know how deep it actually goes as far as they take the, they take the photo, you've, you've come to the quarter. I'm not too sure how much further it goes from there. Um, but they have um, done, done it again this, this year. So um, there was obviously some measure of success for them to do that. And I think if you're... Um, if it's just about getting people in there uh, and taking the photo and hopefully spending some money, then it probably worked for them. Um, but as far as building long-term engagement uh, and a deeper experience, I'm not too sure what, what those types of made-for-Instagram kind of experiences actually do. 
I think it's such a good point around that sort of art and cultural style of experience and, and that conversion to commercial reality. And I think we'll definitely have a chat about that um, in a short time um, on the panel. Thanks, Ricky. And finally, we have our local favourite, uh, Kate Hewlett, Director of Space Market and owner of Kate and Abel. Kate works as a Director of Space Market and actively works to pair forgotten, unloved and in-between used spaces with new tenants to reactivate disused parts of inner urban city. We've seen her extraordinary work uh, through Manny 2.0 and the new King's Square development that she's madly working on at the moment. Um, Kate is also the co-owner of online boutique uh, store Kate Nable, selling the converted in-house hat brand St Saviour's, as well as a range of books, games, homewares and fashion. Kate, I was only asking you last week, what magic are you planning to weave at King's Square and how do you envisage this experience translating into reality? The interesting thing about King Square is, um, so it's the FOMO development, which is the, um, the zillion dollar investment into King Square in Frio. Um, we took that building over when Myers moved out in 2013 and put in a ground floor of retail, two floors above of Maker's Studio, so there was artists, woodworkers, writers, all sorts of people. Basement level was an enormous gallery, the biggest privately owned gallery in Australia after Mona and we had a bar on the roof. So we activated this space that Myers had moved out of. And of course the local community were like, Myers has moved out, Fremantle is dead. And, um, and then it became a place that people loved. And on the ground floor we made this open plan retail that um, <coughs> people could kind of meander through and find themselves in my shop trying on hats and then they're in the cafe and then they're in an art shop and then they're in a vintage clothes um, space. And um, the interesting thing is that Sirona, who bought the building, who were in charge of this development, said, that works. And um, while we were operating in that space, I had meetings with Westfield, Hawaiian, all the big um, developers and owners of shopping centres saying, how do you do that without walls? How do you do the shops without walls? Because that's where we see it going. And across the world you can see those examples of those kind of borderless retail and that's what people want because it feels like you're not going into a shop out of a shop into a shop out of a shop you're just hanging out you know and um so Sirona said we want that we want to kind of keep it like that when we redo this thing when we get these shops and businesses retail um food and beverage into the new FOMO development we kind of want to feel like it felt when it was many so um so that's why I'm working with them to help them do that. And of course, we show people through and it's this enormous, it's like um, probably 20,000 square metres worth of open space. So people come through and they're like, I, how would my shop work here? Where are the walls? You know, and it's like when you look through an old building to buy or a house and people go, you know, some people go, the bones of it are great. And some people go, I hate the blue on the wall, you know, and it's, it's kind of, how do I adapt to this kind of new way of retail and this new um, kind of offer to customers? And, you know, we're yet to see how it is going to um, come out in reality. And definitely some people will box their places off and some people will keep it open. And, you know, for us it's really interesting to keep that open space and, you know, have people meander through and find themselves within one space to another. And it just it really softens the experience. And the, the thing, um, you know, I don't 
class shopping as cultural experience, but in Perth it kind of is. You know, people go to the shops to hang out and spend time more so than they would to the gallery or, you know, something like that because they understand a shop and understand how to interact with the shop. So if we can make that interesting and cultural and more dynamic than walking around Boragoon like a zombie, then we're going to flip and I'll do it, you know? <laughs> I love it. Um, both, uh, I think, understanding the community, Al, you meant, and understanding your audience and really empathising with them. And Ricky, you also and Kate both mentioned sort of the idea of collaboration as well and working with others. Al, I noticed with Other Side in particular, you've got the Artist Program. With Frio Social, you've got, you know, the Tapped Program. What role do you think collaboration plays in creating experiences within a retail or tourism sector? Um, what role does collaboration play? I, I don't know whether it's necessarily what we're doing is about collaboration. I think what we're trying to do with, with our business, and I, again, I'll just digress slightly, is that I think one of the things that business, the mistakes that businesses make is they don't recognise what business they're in. And we spend a lot of time talking about what business we're in. And yes, we make beer and we open venues, but we're really about providing a space for people to connect. And I think that's just, once you have that clear, it just sort of changes the conversation. And they say, how can we do that better? And so that's, and, and become a kind of magnet for that. And so, you know, we bring people in and engage with them in a conversation about how that might work. And I guess that's that thing about understanding what is required in that particular area. And so for Freo Social, um, it was about providing a creative space and, and, and using the space um, when it's not being used commercially for other, other purposes because that's what is needed around this area, whereas in Myree, it's not what's needed. And I think just listening to what Kate was talking about, I think one of the challenges is that, you know, is trend watching or whatever you want to call it is that there's a lot of like, oh, this is doing really well over here, so we want to try and bring that here. And I just... There's a real, I mean, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But it, again, it goes back to that thing about well, what's real. What do the people here really need? And you know, I th and Starbucks is a great example of a of a brand that w bad coffee or good coffee. They're not. They recognise they're actually not really about making coffee. But they started with a franchise model, and every Starbucks looks the same. And I don't know whether you know this, but they they've now changed that. And if you go to New York, there's a Starbucks in Lolita which doesn't look like a Starbucks, it looks like a bodega, you know, and, they, and, they've, and they've got the coffee at the front and they've got... And so what they're doing is actually saying, well, the kind of cookie-cutter approach is not right. We need to create relevant places for people to connect and drink our coffee in a way that they like to drink coffee. So it's not forcing another model on other, other, other places. So I think, um, you know, I think the, the value of collaboration is about identifying what's appropriate for that particular space. And I was thinking about, you know, the Instagram model and the ice cream factory, even if it was anywhere else other than Claremont Quarter, it probably wouldn't work because that's a demographic that, you know, really embraces that kind of colour and life and a fashionable outfit and putting my photo out there. And, um, you know, even I was thinking the other day about the dome model of recent times of just buying up these really beautiful landmark or renting to actually go, but we have the capital to invest in beautiful landmarks that people are going to want to come to and experience and people do come 
on their masses to sit by the river or sit by the dock or and they're not the sorts of spaces that you know your small time high street amazing little you know one person operator coffee could even dream of having those sorts of spaces so I think owning what you are I think is a really really important part of that story. I'd like to hand it um, over to the floor in a second I've just got one more question for anyone on the panel really. Economic return on these creative and wonderful ideas how do we make sure that people are experiencing something but they're actually putting their money where their eyes are so to speak. Anyone want to take that from the floor? Um, oh, well, look again. It's um, I think you know you can you can be kind of um, you can be very focused on the kind of cultural com- contribution, but I just think that's that balance. You just the, you've got to have two elements. You've got to have a cultural imperative and a, cre- and a commercial imperative, um, and um, what y- you just need to look at those and how both of them support each other. And one's not just I want. I just want to talk about the old mill thing just really quickly because I think that's a really great example of relevant collaboration. They didn't just go, oh, we're going to buy this place and fix up. They, they actually um, collaborated with the town, got them all involved in the idea, and so they had an enormous amount of support of the redevelopment before they even started. So, you know, and what they built was really appropriate for that space. And, yes, it's probably not the best coffee, but it's the right coffee for that audience. So, you know, yeah. Completely. Um, for those of you that haven't seen it, um, Al's talking about the old Premier Mill down in Katanning, an extraordinary collaboration and to have a landmark like that restored to the extent that it has been in Western Australia and rural Western Australia is such an extraordinary asset and the fact that they can draw people from everywhere to come there I think is a fantastic example of what we're talking about today and the experience starts from the minute you check in it is consistent right through to the maps and the tours and the explanations and you actually have a sense of history and I think for me, the other amazing thing, just talking about experiences, is that the Pierce brothers would go, hmm, there's no electricity in this town, I'll just bring it in. Oh, actually, we haven't got a flour mill, let's bring the world's best flour mill here. Oh, we need cordial, let's make some cordial. Extraordinary entrepreneurship that delivered to a market time after time after time. And the fact that they won a wine award in 1903 at the Paris Wine Awards, my brain was like, how did they even get the wine there? So, you know, we think and and we think about Fremantle and how we limit ourselves by our thinking of saying, oh, it's this and oh, it's that. You know, if someone can bring life into all of those different businesses in a place like Katanning for 90 years, you know, I think sometimes we do need to think a little outside the box. Did you ladies want to say anything about just the commercial con- conversion, I guess? It's interesting. I, I see time and time again lots of big businesses going, let's collaborate with an artist because they're using the artist's credibility to make themselves cool. You know, I, I know um, the Water Corpor engaging with a bunch of artists to do some ephemeral installations in Yeager Square, you know, and I think it's not enough. You know, that's not... It needs to go deeper than that. But what I was thinking about the commercial side of things and from our perspective as giving experiences, <coughs> and if you think about your your memories from your past, the, the most um, bold memories in your head are the ones which are um, connected to an emotion, whether that's terror or happiness or surprise. So that's what we want to give. And on the very basic level, the experience is going to be your human-to-human interaction. So the sort of connection you get with the people that you're dealing with. 
and I have this um, anecdote um, that when I was, I must have been about eight or something, I went shopping with my dad, which seems weird, but we went to um, Jeans West in Inaloo or somewhere like that. And um, I just had the most extraordinary experience with the girl who served us. She was so kind and generous and helpful and happy. And obviously my dad fell in love with her and spent hundreds of dollars, but um, <laughs> which worked perfectly for her. But it, that experience has stuck with me, you know, 30 years on. And I just think, imagine the impact that each of us can have with the people we deal with. And I, uh, when I had a cafe, I'd say to my barista, you've got the uh, you, you can change that person's day. Every person you deal with today, you have the ability to change their day by being, hey, how are you going today? What are you doing? I hope you have a nice day. You know, what, what do you think of the coffee? Whatever. And we forget that. And, you know, time and time again, I go into shops and it's like I'm a robot and we just have this awkward, nothing, you know, dead-eyed conversation. And that's not what we're about. We're about humanity and connecting on, you know, and when we talk about... Um, spaces to connect with other humans. You, you know, the queues outside of North Street store, that little corner shop in um, Cottesloe or Yellow Intrigue. You know, people actually want to be with other humans in these warm, homey spaces. So let's give them to them, you know? And our, as a, a food and beverage and a hospitality offering, you're competing with other people's front gardens and their backyards. So you've got to give them the most comfy, warm, cosy experience that they love and that connection is the um, the experience that they'll come back and spend their money with you and that's what I think in my shop you know when people come and go they tell their neighbours and people drive from Geraldton and um, Queensland come over you know and I think how amazing you know that that's a thing that they'll remember like the girl in Jeans West that I remember now you know that's the experience we can offer at the very lowest level. I had yeah, like stonewash <laughs> or hypercolour t-shirts. That's absolutely. I was laughing at Kate's Instagram post the other day about working in Maya because that's where I started my life as well in Jeans Plus No Fuss. And um, that, <laughs> that idea of the very first day of training where they said, you don't greet your customer with hello. You greet them with, wow, that's an interesting shirt. Or how's your day going? Have you been to get coffee because you've got a coffee cup. How's the coffee? And you actually engage on a level that they relate to. And I think that translates, as you say, so humanly to our experiences where we are trying to create those connections at the end of the day. And that's what makes it more than a buzzword because I think we can all build some crazy Instagram backdrop, but it is about pulling people back time and time again into your spaces and feeling part of something bigger. On that note, I'm going to hand over to the floor um, to put some questions to the panel. Um, it sounds a little like school, but if you'd like to raise your hand if you have a question, uh, Parisa can um, pop the mic over. Otherwise, I can keep firing away because I have a very long list here. Um, so, uh, that thing about going to Jeans West or whatever it is, there's, um, again, this, this sort of thought that, you know, it's all not the Jeans West is one size fits all, but the kind of service approach is the one. There's a really interesting um, network of shops in this, I'm not sure, maybe in the States, and they've introduced this thing where when you walk in, you have a choice of a different colour wristband that you put on. And um, red is you're just looking and you don't want to be harassed and green is you, you, know, you might want some help and yellow is, yeah, I definitely need help. And so you can choose the level of interaction because, you know, I'm not necessarily a shopper that wants to go in and have someone say, hey, that's a great shirt. I just want to be left alone, you know, and I think that's that. So, you know, there's, you know, responding to the needs of the audience, I think are really interesting. Absolutely. In 
fact, we had that on Sunday where I like to sometimes still go back to my fashion roots and my jeans plus no fuss days and, you know, help my partner buy his clothes. And the sales assistant kept cutting in. She's stealing my lunch. I'm like, I'm the stylist here. Just back off, lady. <laughs> That's right. I know my menswear. <laughs> but, yeah, absolutely. You need to be able to read all of those things. And, you know, we don't necessarily all have that humanness that, you know, the panel bring to, to these experiences. So as individuals, you also have to be authentic. And if you are going into a gaming shop to buy some games you're going to be talking to fellow gamers and you probably don't want to be you know hi how was your day because they'll go flying out the back door <laughs> um ricky did you have anything else you wanted to add just about i guess that idea of targeting because obviously some of the installations you do have to reach multiple different sorts of people and the ability to create i guess a niche experience is limited by the nature of the exhibitions that you're putting on I guess because we tend to work more in that the heritage space and, and in museums, but it's really interesting to see, this might not quite answer the question, but um, how the nature of museums are changing and they're really wanting to engage and for it to become more of a community space for the people. So there's a big movement um, at the Santa Cruz Museum um, by Nina Simone and she says of, by, for and all. So it's you know, it's got to be the stories of the community, uh, by the community and for the community. So um, we're seeing a big push towards that in sort of museum and heritage spaces that it's, um, we want to tell your stories, you tell us what you need rather than being dictated to. Um, so it's, while it's not sort of a, a commercially viable kind of, um, you know, retail kind of focus, it does, um, museums still need to be a viable space but I think they need to be more relevant um, to their communities so it's it's very similar in that regard I guess to the, the retail and the hospitality and beverage they're all competing for that same experience um, and the, um, people's focus and things too so I think um, yeah it's sort of a worldwide kind of across lots of different industries um, where people are looking at that community space. And it is I think as one of our earlier podcasts said it's the one thing we can create that I guess, competes away from online. You can't have that sense of community. And I heard a beautiful example at the Immigration Museum where that's called the Olive Tree, where the Arabic community and the Jewish community actually come together once a year and just play music together. And it's actually brought to life a lot of what the Immigration Museum is about, about bringing, you know, cultures that often are in conflict or are different into a space that they want to be. Absolutely. Just a question for all the panel. Um, could you talk a bit more about perhaps the role of um, like prototyping and iterating on these kinds of experiences? Um, I'm from a technology and a design point of view and we do that a lot. But I think that um, small and even big businesses are a little bit scared sometimes to like leap into something that's really different and they want to see like a whole, you know, strategic plan and a budget and everything. But, um, you know, I think the many is a good example of like prototyping something that they're not you know, they haven't seen before and then they go, wow, that's what we want to do. But until they sort of see it, they don't know that they want it or need it. So I guess if you use many as an example, you need to give people the space to try it. And um, and I was just saying this to Ricky earlier, it's what we offer people is, um, so we rent cheap space out to small businesses and it's, um, it's an easy way to fail quickly. So if you start your business and it's a terrible idea or it's a coffee shop where a coffee shop's always been, but you're only paying $100 a week, if you fail, your life isn't ruined. You know, you can still move on. So I think from a prototyping perspective, um, people with the um, means, and I, by that I mean the money, 
need to give the space to the people who they want to use to try these ideas out. And that might mean cheap space, that might mean paying artists and creative people and people who may plan these kind of um, experiences. They need to invest in them so that they can be um, made on a solid base, you know, so they're not so surface that they don't have any effect long term. And there, there does need to be, um, you know, we've got a real problem with um, valuing creativity in our state whereby, um, you know, oh, it's just art or it's just design, so it's just painting, you know, we'll just pay them nothing because it's cute and a hobby and they don't deserve proper money like everyone else. We need to go, no, that's, there's proper value in that and it's making us money because people are coming to look at these paintings or they're coming to stand under these lights or whatever, they're looking at projections. So we need to pay those people so that the, they can continue to grow and try on new technologies and make better stuff. You know, we're paying for their ideas, their creative brains, so we need to invest in it, I think. Mm -hmm. That's probably similar to what you're saying as well. Oh gosh, I think um, when you're working with budgets and you've got to deliver something too, so we work with a lot of local governments and um, smaller museums and they want to see something technology based or, um, but you kind of have to have a working model at the end. So it's, um, we try and build in contingency, I guess, into budgets because we've got to do that to begin with. But I think it's also setting up that expectation that it's not foolproof. It's, um, we are going to, we are going to, sometimes fail and we'll do our best to, to, to fix it and make it work and things like that. But it's, um, it's that fear of the unknown, I think, too, and, and having to s usually for museums, um, spending money on that technology side is a massive part of their budget. So for them to spend it and non, then not work, um, it does create that. Yeah, yeah, you do have to be brave. <laughs> I was just going to say, Al, I think, you know, in terms of being brave and in terms of, um, I guess, bringing particularly clients along with a, on a journey around these sorts of experiences and relative intangibles. In many ways, that's a lot of what you've done over your career and highly successfully. How do you, I guess, take what is often a very traditional model and push the boundaries um, and be brave to take those risks? Oh, I think it... Um, I think my the successful occasions where we've kind of um, you know transitioned a client into a kind of new realm I think um, there's a lot to do with building up trust I think um, we, I mean I'll ref at the agency we had I don't know we had over the course of 15 years lots of clients but I think you know to win a new piece of business and to go in with some you know out of the box extraordinary idea from day one was always a challenge and you 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 could you could lay out a case for them, but I think that what would happen is the the you you did your best work as the relationship developed, and they developed trust with you, and you're able to try and test things. And so I, I, I don't know, and I think you got to really I mean I you know your first impression was oh we think we know your business really well, so we're going to tell you how to you know do this. And in fact, as you got under the skin of it, again it's that red thread is when you, you say, oh, actually, I really understand your business now. I really think I can help you. And then you kind of evolve from there. So I think, you know, just to your point, I'm, I, I, if I'm reading it right, I think it's, you, you've got to understand who you're talking to and what they need and then articulate it in a way that's appropriate to their problem, I think. And sometimes that's not always immediately present and it actually takes time. So I know, uh, yeah, I think trust was the big thing for us and over a long period of time, I hope that answers the question.
It absolutely does and I think it answers it from a client relationship point of view but also from what we're talking about in terms of consumer relationships and your customers, you know, building trust and, and taking them on the journey with you is what brings that return business. It brings a sense of ownership. It, you know, it's why people do go to Old Bridge every Friday night en masse is because they know they're going to get and they trust the experience is going to be what they've set out to do. Absolutely. Any other questions from the floor? If I can articulate this question right. Um, several years ago I spoke to somebody at the City of Perth and they were talking about all of the exciting things that they were doing in laneways and they were, we were going to be just like Melbourne. And I sort of, I think that you used the term trend chasing before and I, I didn't grow up in Perth. And when I came over here I thought, you know, what's amazing in Perth is this beautiful blue water feature in the centre of the city and then this beautiful coast and why would we want to hide in laneways in Perth? Didn't make any sense to me, um, but there seemed to be a bit of an infatuation with this Melbourne type culture of you know putting cafes in laneways, bars, etc. And I saw you know quite a number of them. I was working in the city, so I saw quite a number of them fail. And laneway lounge just closed recently as well, which was pretty disappointing. They're nice venues, you know, great people running them, great offering. Um, then, then I look down here and I think, well, we've got this waterfront, but then these franchises have opened up and often the franchises have got a bit of capital to put behind them because, um, you know, the smaller businesses don't necessarily have that to, to open up a, an establishment and they've closed too. So what are the le lessons learned here? Are we, are we sort of failing in our assumptions about what, what people want in Perth? It's for, for anybody, I guess, on the panel. Uh um, I'm sorry, I'm going to sound like a broken... Yeah, look, I think that that whole thing about we want to be like Melbourne is all about not understanding what people in Perth really want. Like, I think it's... You know, Melbourne is what it is and, and, and it's a great creative community and it does... But it, it's a different type of city and there's a different... It's different light and there's all these different elements to it. And um, so we're trying to grab things from other places, successful, and try and infill them. And I understand the kind of attraction of laneways and Flinders Lane is all great, but you know what they what they're really trying to achieve is activation in the city and doing it in a way that's relevant to the the people in the city. And that was a, you know a fail because it, it was just replicating a model that wasn't appropriate for years. So I th I think I went to a thing last night for the City of Perth Culture Program launch, and all of the conversation was about understanding what Perth really is and not trying to be like everyone else. And um, so I think there's a fast um, moving appreciation that what's required in, you know, in, in the city in Fremantle is got to be relevant for the people here and activate it in a way that's relevant for the way we live, not you live in where it's cold. <laughs> you know. And I thought that was beautifully articulated in the 10 nights in port, which recognise that it is winter and Perth people don't normally like to come outside in winter but yet found a way that put fires in the middle of the street, just put really quirky things that we are actually almost forced to walk about and experience things and you went oh <laughs> this is actually really pleasant because it's still not raining and it's not snowing, <laughs> it's you know quite warm really. Um, I've heard it said that um, the con it takes a really strong constraint to make us more creative and if our constraint in Perth is that people love a barbecue in their backyard and aren't inclined to jump on a train to come to Fremantle or to come to Perth. If that's our constraint, how do we creatively solve that problem? It's a big question. Sorry, I probably should have had a bit of a warm-up with that one. I'll start. Um, well, there's, you know...
when Perth Festival did Trees Speak, um, hundreds of thousands of people went to enjoy that. And that was a really good example of giving people something totally unique to our place and totally relevant. And it made people weep and come back another time and bring their friends and family. And it was very, you know, true to us and authentic and, and the experience was overwhelming. So we can get people out and there are millions of people here. We probably in this audience are pretty engaged with arts and culture and things that are happening. But the majority of Western Australians just want to watch the block on Thursday nights and go shopping at Burgoon or whatever, you know. Um, but we've got to, I mean, it's a this is a huge topic of encouraging our kids to go to museums and theatres and all this sort of stuff. I was talking last night, I was given um, some tickets to the symphony on the weekend at the concert hall and it was just incredible. And I thought, kids don't even know that it's instruments that make these sounds. You know, it comes out of a machine, you press a button and it makes a violin sound. But it's so expensive to go, you know, it's so exclusive. So there's things like that that we need to lower those access points, make schools and kids aware of these things and then they engage more with them, you know, and, and then we do get people out of their houses. And, you know, back to the North Street store, the Yellow, all those places, people don't need to go and queue for f an hour for a coffee on su Sunday morning and a cinnamon scroll, but damn it, they do. And um, so they do want to go out. They don't want to just sit in. And I think that's changing. You know, the Instagram of five years ago was people showing themselves on the beach and this is like, my life is amazing. And now it's like, I hate my kids and I've got so much washing. And, you know, and it's that <laughs> reality that people go, I love you more than you and I'm going to stop following you. And it's, it's a real change. And it's a change from I've got a TV in every room and my cinema room and my rumpus room and my theatre room. It's now like, well, let's go out. But... It's up to every single one of us to buy from local shops and go to the cinema and not download the film, not just get Uber Eats, go to a restaurant, you know, and it's up to us. We've got to change that mentality and it's a whole generation. You know, as a kid, I hung out at Whitford shops in the afternoons after school, you know, how boring. But what else was I going to do? Go to the beach or go to Whitford's? Well, I guess I'll do both, you know, and we need to give, you know, there's this great... Um, cultural infrastructure um, program. We were just talking about it um, earlier and we need to have more opportunities for people to go out and do nice things because we don't actually have that many, especially in the, the corridors of WA. The urban sprawl was built in an American way around shopping centres and there are no galleries or museums or things for people to do. So we don't really, you know, we don't grow, we've not grown up with a lot of stuff to do. So we've just got to change that. And we're so young in Perth, you know, we've got so much we're going so far, we're doing so many great things. It's just growth and change. I was just thinking about, um, you know, that experience and the idea that you mentioned about museums have come, you know, and even just hearing um, Alex's plans for the new museum and, and how different it's going to be from what we've traditionally experienced from museums. And the translation of that into, you know, this idea that, you know, at Airbnb, as I said, that you can, you know, rent out your place and suddenly offer a tour. <laughs> you know, we're suddenly dealing with a very competitive landscape around what experiences we're offering and who's offering them and whether they're curated or whether they are, you know, the guy next door doing it. Do you think that creates a, an evenness within the market or are there challenges um, within that? I think it opens it up to to the everyday person because it's a, I guess it's 
I was saying it's about people and empathy so and people want those personal experiences so I don't want to go on the same bus tour looking at the landmarks and be spoken to I want to hear about how you get around or where you go to eat and um, and I think um, people are looking a lot more for that especially when they travel but um, I think talking a little bit sorry just about the the shopping center model and it's about um, breaking down those those barriers and that cross collaboration between with its art galleries and museums and coming into shopping centers and offering and showing people that there is more out there as well but I do think it comes down to that, that personal connection and um, wanting something more than that than that sort of status quo really I was just going to say, there's a really interesting um, TED talk about um, trust being the new currency and how, you know, we've we've gone to Airbnb and Uber and um, these, which are human to human, and then we're rating that man, how he drove me home, or that delivery driver, and it's a real change from dealing business, human to business, you know, and I think the trust, which everyone's spoken about, is um, an enormous um, thing that we can hold on to and grow and develop ourselves. But everything that I talk about comes back to humans and humanity and human connection. Absolutely. Um, in fact, there was that um, one of the things that they said last week that really rung true to me was um, experience is where we keep and break our co promises to the consumer. And I think that is such a strong link to trust. Um, Al, obviously creating a new business from scratch um, in the last couple of years had to create, I guess, an identity of what that experience was going to be and deliver on that promise. How have you found that journey in terms of maintaining that original vision you had and returning your promise um, to the consumer? Um, it's been um, fantastic <laughs> um, because um, we put a lot of work at the front, going back to what I was saying earlier, we put a lot of work in at the front about being clear about what business we're in and establishing a clear culture for the business. So, yes, we make beer and we open venues, and that's what we do. And as I said, we're <coughs> like the slide behind me, we're all about, and the DNA of the business was all about finding opportunities to bring people together and connect them with an experience and connect with each other. And if that's what we're all about, then that's really interesting. So um, we wanted to kind of feel, um, have that kind of come to life through the culture of the organisation. So we've kind of created a culture in the organisation which is, um, we haven't got time today, but it's, but, but it's you know, a very, very carefully considered egalitarian structure that's built around the notion of uh, what a band is. And a band is where every member is important and everyone needs to be in tune on song. And, and so, you know, that permeates the whole business, even the people that joined at Freo Social, we did this thing called Bandcamp, which is a week-long kind of get-to-know-each-other. So it's been, I mean, I, I my interest is about um, capability and culture, and I think we put a lot of effort in it, and I think that um, that comes to life in the space. But I, I, I do think that we're actively kind of learning and adapting as we go, and we're learning things about what people want, and we adjust it, but the DNA is there, and and, and it's, it's been really, really, really good. We've got a really, really clear view of what we're here for. And I think that everyone's online for that. And with the flexibility to adapt, I loved your really simple example that I think you gave me one of the first times you caught up just about the simple signage of, you know, when a band is on, you had, you know, no tickets available and therefore people weren't coming in to the actual bar that was open, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's right, absolutely. Um, Mark, another question there. Yeah, I've, I've been back working in Fremantle for the last five months and one of the topics that's come up a lot is the foot traffic um, Monday to Thursday, um, you know, whether it's hospitality, retail, you know, arts and culture. You know, does, does Fremantle sort of make the most of Friday to Sunday and really, you know, capitalise on that? Or, you know, do you, do you feel as though there are um, experiences that we can create in that Monday to Thursday um, period where, you know, we can get the foot traffic back? Fremantle just needs humans, more people. So it's um, residents and workers. So next mm. April we'll have 1,600 more people in the centre and I think that Monday the Friday or Monday the Thursday trade will transform. I, it, it's a tricky one without p people, numbers. It's mm. really down to numbers and that's what, you know, I think, you know, in the heyday when there was Spotlight and Myers and office workers, there were people coming in off the train every day or driving in, going to work, having somewhere to buy their lunch and do their banking and their groceries and buy a gift and then they'd go home and then all those businesses moved out. So we And we don't have a big residential population and a lot of the people that do own homes are, don't live here. They are probably Airbnbs, that sort of thing. So um, once the FOMO development's finished and we've got 1,600 people moving in March and then um, once the... Uh, civic centres completed and the council moved back in to the, you know, King Square and the Manning Chambers buildings are full and then there's been the approval for the high density housing from King Square through to the docks here. Um, it's going to be transformed, you know, and I often say to people, I can't even imagine this time next year what it's going to feel like walking through Fremantle. Just the, you know, all the services will be increased, the trains, the car park, you know, everything's going to be transformed. At the moment, we're a little bit treading water trying to get through, you know, and um, I, there's not too much I think we can do. I mean, there's obviously when there's great bands on, people come in and then they'll go for a meal or, you know, they might travel over. I know when um, the rugby was on, Carl, you were saying all the hotels are full, so it's really important that the government's looking for bigger events to attract people to Western Australia as a whole. Um, the Biennale is going to be great. People have a reason to come in and, and those short-term events create, you know, mass. Um, but at the moment, it's just population. <coughs> yeah, I'm just going to, and I'll put my hand up and say I live in Perth. I've got a business in Fremantle, so I'm, I'm kind of slightly, you know, I've got foot in both camps. And I'll just quickly talk about this, um, give you this story. So I, I live uh, near Beaufort Street and there's been a lot of, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's been a lot of stuff about Beaufort Street suffering. There's a couple of journos that really feel compelled to talk about all the bad stuff that's happening in, in Beaufort Street. And and I would make two observations and this connects to the, the notion of experience and activity. One is that, um, there are yes, there are places that have closed down, but the ones that have continued to thrive and do, um, and do well are the ones that are actually doing really interesting things. So if you just open up something that's pretty standard, it, it's just not going to happen. Um, but that, you know, everyone was concerned about it. And then I came out the street one day, it was a Friday night, and there were people everywhere, everywhere. And Northbridge was thriving. And I couldn't work out what was going on. And then someone saw you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers are playing at NIB Stadium. And uh, so just by simply allowing that one event to occur, it brings in 9,000 people, all of a sudden everyone benefits. It makes a big difference. And you just kind of go, well... Why wouldn't you just do that 12 times, you know? And I think that, that you know, creating experiences on a mass scale helps the economy and, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I think that there's got to be kind of 
you know, a lot of, you know, venues west, we could probably say, well, you know, NIB Stadium, let's do more gigs. It's up to you guys. We can offer incentives to bring bands over and do big shows. There's all sorts of things we can do, large-scale activation to bring people together. And I think, you know, all of those, so you need large and small-scale activations that, that are relevant. It's so true. And then we have other sort of restrictions. For example, I think the prison's been waiting for three years for a red permit, you know, and it's like, why can't they put large-scale events on? It would just be amazing. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Kate, have you got a question there? I have. I just needed to work out how to use the microphone. Um, so, large-scale experiences are amazing and they bring a lot of people to, you know, specifically Fremantle. But how do we as small businesses... How do we best enhance our customer experience and our customer engagement? What are your top tips for that, just for the small businesses here, to go away, take away with us today, just one thing that you feel that we could do to you know, help enhance our customer engagement and experience? That's a great question, Kate. Yeah, well, I mean, I've already, I've already offered my suggestion. I think, I mean, my question would be, how well do you know them? Um, and I don't know what, what business you're in, but I, I just think you've got to do everything you can to understand them to a, to a really deep level. And then from that perspective, you can then create a response to that in a way that will be attractive. I, mean, I think we, we often f have an idea and think, oh, we're going to do that, we're just going to force on it, and, and I, I, it invariably fails. So that, that would be my one tip, is just really, really, really get to know them. Spend a lot of time watching them, talk to them, whatever you need to do. Um, this maybe, I'm not sure I don't have a retail business, but um, maybe collaborate with the unusual. So um, uh, whether it's other businesses around or someone that you don't, another business that you don't think would um, usually see you pair up. And I think when you have those unusual pairings, amazing things can happen. And I guess a bit like you may fail, but it's, it's trying, iterating and, and yeah, give it a go to see what happens. Um, I remember a business person told me once that one plus one in business isn't two, it's hundreds, and that's back to this collaboration. So, for instance, when the Biennale's on, talk to your customers about it because then people associate you with this brilliant event, you know, or talk positively about stuff that's happening to attract people into your space, you know. But the number one cheapest thing to do is just have brilliant stuff. That's the best experience you can do and it's free, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the the easiest and quickest and cheapest. I love that. That you know, our simplest solutions and it always breaks down to the simplest solutions, but it's actually always the hardest because you know, finding brilliant staff and hanging on to them and managing their expectations, particularly in this new generation is again one of the big challenges that we all face in business. Absolutely, I think. Yeah, so don't have crap staff and if you can find them and pay them the right amount of money and give them their, yeah, no, it's a really challenging one. Carl? Um, I think it's also worth mentioning, obviously, at uh, individual business level experience is very important, but um, the town as a whole uh, is an experience in itself and uh, I think there's a responsibility on all of us to uh, make that experience better, uh, welcome people into the town and um, just create a great experience and I mean certainly for me one of the reasons I came to do f business in Fremantle was because it's such a unique um, place uh, it's got all this amazing heritage um, and it's uh, it's got so many natural assets that we need to work to enhance those um, to make everybody's experiences better so Absolutely agree with you on that, Carl. And I think you know we talk about collaboration and one of the things is so many of us in Fremantle don't even know 
the amount of extraordinary businesses we have and that's what 10 nights in port taught me was I found places that I just didn't even know existed and I've lived here for 20 years and I think part of what we're going to try and do in the chamber over the next little while is almost have a day for locals where we get to showcase all our amazingness and and traipse around and bring our families and our friends and and show them what we have as locals to be able to if someone's buying an amazing hat from Kate that she can go if you duck down the road you know you've got this amazing dress that will go fabulously with that and you know while you're sauntering about have you tried the new beer at Freer Social you know those sort of connections (laughs) just make a great deal of difference (laughs) that's right that hat would look great with that artist on that beer can. <laughs> That's a, such a huge thing. People send people to me to tell them where stuff is in Fremantle and I'm always drawing on maps like go here and then dinner there or whatever because no one else knows and just walking around. I mean, people don't know that there's a submarine just over there that you can go into. You know, it's just there and there's always dolphins around that area. You know, but no one knows and the more we talk, exactly what you said, Carl, we make the whole place an experience by talking positively about each other and about each other's spaces. And then people come because they oh, we could go and have a drink at Freer Social. Oh, you can just go to the bar. They're great. And we could go to the prison and then we can go back in, you know. It is an experience, but we need to talk positively about it and stop, like those journalists, being so negative about Beaufort Street every day, another th- closure on Beaufort Street. But let's talk about the flipping good stuff. Why are we so down on everything all the time? You know, and it's easy. That's easy and free to do that. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that idea that we can create our own experiences, um, I'm not sure I think I might have mentioned it before, but during the school holidays, I just got a map of Frio and sent my 10-year-old and 13-year-old on a little excursion. They got on their bikes, they went to the Maritime Museum, they then drove and got a crepe at the crepe place they then went back and had a look at the shipwreck museum and then they finished up at the skate ramp and then went to see a movie the whole day was gone they were safe and they were happy and that experience literally just took dots a few maps and I asked them some questions just to make sure they'd been to all the places they said they were going to Um, but we need to engage at that level as you said Kate with all of our young people you know there are amazing opportunities and they are welcome in those spaces um, which is quite extraordinary I think we've had a wonderful wonderful session this morning. I am conscious of time. Um, Thank you to our panel. I think um, the level of expertise that we have in the room today, both uh, on this side as well as uh, on our panel, is extraordinary. And I think the opportunity to not just mimic what we're seeing in terms of how experiences are described elsewhere, but as Alan has so clearly said, Al, that you grab hold of it, you understand it, and you actually look at how that relates to our place and our consumers and the audience that we have. Um, you know, from Kate's extraordinary um, uh, spa that has Australian botanicals, you know, own that space, own the conversation so that we can refer it. Talk to the other businesses around your area so that they know what you do. They know that Becky is the most amazing designer in the world and we've got her sitting here at, you know, Prince's Chambers. We need to talk up those experiences. We need to refer each other regularly to the, the businesses that are around us. And I think if we all have that mindset, as you said, Kate, one plus one equals, you know, a million. So thank you all very much. Our panel will stay around for a short period of time if you have any additional questions. Thank you for spending the morning with us. And um, please remember, set the month in motion, download it on Spotify, download it on any 
any podcast channel you can find. Um, keep listening and then we can hopefully keep bringing you interesting conversations. If there are particular topics that you're really keen on, we're setting the year ahead. So please let us know too what you'd like to learn more about and we will do our best to uncover the world's best experts as we have in the room to bring that conversation to you. <laughs> Thanks again, everyone.